0: We come then to begin our series of studies in Mark's Gospel, chapters 5 and 6 on Christian discipleship, a subject which affects all of us. If we are a Christian, it will steer us, perhaps restore us to, to a good and right way. And if you're not yet a Christian, it will show you what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus So here we are in Mark's Gospel, chapter six, verses thirty to forty four, thinking of Christian discipleship and learning. Twenty twenty one there are two point six six million people studying in higher education in the United Kingdom. There's nearly half a million staff in higher education teaching at those pupils. On top of that, there are around 10 million pupils in schools throughout the United Kingdom. So there is a large percentage, proportion of the population which are committed to and involved in higher education, learning and development. Beyond the schooling which is required of pupils, there is that voluntary higher education which millions have opted for. We live in a nation among a people who are interested in learning. And this is the dimension of this miracle of Jesus which is emphasized for us. That Jesus wants his disciples to learn about various issues which are important in following him. Discipleship is a key theme in Mark's gospel Mark is not only interested in presenting to us the Master, the Lord, the Saviour, but he wants to inform us about those who follow that Saviour. This is the reason why Jesus has come, why he has been appointed as the Saviour, that he will have a people, that there will be those whom he saves and follow him and discipleship defines and characterises that people who follow the Master, the Saviour, the Lord, Jesus. This miracle, as we've indicated, is famous, best known by us among the stories of Jesus, found in all four Gospels, the only miracle to appear in all of the Gospels. But it is a miracle initiated by Jesus. The crowds were not asking him to be fed. The disciples didn't suggest that he feeds them. Jesus initiates this miracle because he has issues which he wants his disciples to learn. And there's three issues that the disciples learn about and that we're to learn about as we follow Jesus at this time. The first thing that he wants us to learn about is about downtime in verses 30 to 32. As disciples, we need to know about downtime. Jesus says to his disciples, Come away from the crowd in verse 31 by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Disciples need to learn about downtime. Perhaps some of the twelve, they were enamored by the popularity which their mission had created within the crowds. We read in, in verse number 31 that there were many coming and going. The idea is that there were many groups who were coming to the disciples for teaching and for healing. They had been on their mission in Galilee. They had completed the task that Jesus had given to them. Now they had come to report back to Jesus. But such was their popularity that the crowds kept coming in groups to the disciples. One group would come from one village to them, they would address their needs, and then another group would appear demanding the time, interest, and healing of the disciples. And some of these disciples, no doubt, were enthralled by this, riding on the wave of popularity. They had never experienced such fame and popularity and attention in their life, and they were lapping up this. But perhaps other of the apostles were exhausted. Their mission. Their teaching, their healing, the demands on their time, the relentless coming of groups from the villages and towns to them was exhausting them physically and mentally and emotionally. And Jesus says to the 12 disciples, that's enough. Come away now to a desert place and rest. You see the emphasis on solitariness In the verses, verse 31, by yourselves. Verse 31, by themselves. Twice over it says, to a desolate place. Here is this emphasis on rest, on seclusion, on a retreat. On moving to a quiet and peaceful place. Jesus takes them on a boat trip across the north area of the the Lake of Galilee. He removes them away from the towns and villages where they had performed their mission. To to a wilderness area. And the context of, of Jesus action here of intervening in the lives and busyness of his disciples to to teach them about the importance of downtime is significant. Verse 30 to 32 should probably and logically appear at the end of verse number 13. Jesus sends out the 12 verses 7 to 13, then they come back to Jesus and tell him about their mission in verses 30 to 32 but instead of those verses being joined up the mission and then the return from the mission which would be logical Mark puts in the section about John the Baptist being beheaded in verses 14 to 29 Mark does this a lot it's called his sandwich technique he starts one story And then he interjects another story and then he comes back to the first story. We do this all the time. We will ramble on and then we will say, and what was I talking about? We started one story, we go off and and, and describe another story and then we try and get back to the first story. And Mark does this not in a rambling way, but in a deliberate way. He's teaching the disciples and we will learn this another day that there's a, a cost to be paid in following Jesus. And sometimes that cost. Will be with our life. As it was with John. But Jesus point here for us. And it's an important point is. That others. Might kill us. But he's saying here. Don't kill yourself. The disciples were being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with demands on their time and their effort. And Jesus says, that's enough. And he takes them on this boat trip across the lake. And you can can sense the relief, the sea air, the lapping of the water against the hull of the boat, the quietness of just Jesus and the 12 disciples on their own, the recovery, the rest, the peace the help that this brought, Jesus wants us to learn about downtime. The common wisdom among psychologists and philosophers and pastoral theologians is that disciples of Jesus should not rust out, should not burn out, but should wear out we're not to rust out by sitting around, burying our talent, being inactive in the congregation. We're not to burn out by being overly fanatical, enthused, and involved in a congregation and in Christ's service. We're to pace it. We're to wear out. We're to build into our service, into our life, into our families, into our marriage downtime so that we will return to our commitments and our responsibilities with greater energy, enthusiasm, and commitment. Jesus wants his disciples to learn about downtime. There is a time in our lives when we need to get away from everybody and everything to rest and recover ourselves. And so as we install new elders' Into the congregation this evening, let them settle in. They've got jobs. They've got families. They need downtime for themselves. Don't be too demanding on these men in their new roles. If you can't sleep at night because of the colour of the porch out there and think it should be changed, don't be phoning them up at 10 o'clock at night to make your point. Wait for a, a more opportune time. To speak to them. Young people in your studies, live by the principle all work and no play will make Jack a dull boy. Put your books aside sometimes, lay your coursework to the edge sometimes, and enjoy downtime. Don't burn out, don't rust out either. We're to wear out in our Christian lives and commitments. Married couples, it's harder for you to, to get away to, to have a break, but but all of us in the congregation should be willing to help out one another so that married couples can have time to have downtime from the children they love and the house they delight in. As disciples of Jesus, it is important as Jesus teaches us here for times of rest, times of seclusion. Times to get away from the crowds and the demands on our time and our responsibilities. Some Christians balk at the midweek prayer meeting being suspended for the months of July and August. I really benefit from that suspension and come back in September to our week of prayer with greater enthusiasm and delight. Learning about downtime is the first lesson Jesus has in this miracle. Secondly, learning about development. The disciple of Jesus is to advance. We're to grow. We're to progress in many levels and in many ways. We're not to recede. We're not to sit still. We're to advance and develop as disciples and followers And there's two areas in this great miracle of Jesus, this well-known miracle, that Jesus develops his disciples and that we are to, to mirror them in our development. One is in their minds and one is in their hearts. Jesus develops the minds of these disciples. He's out there in the wilderness. He's out there in the desert, a desolate place. And there are obvious connections between Jesus' miracle of feeding in the desert and Moses' manna in the wilderness. There are connections in the way Mark writes the account of this story with Elisha feeding the hundred people in the Old Testament. And Jesus wants his disciples to make those connections. He's enlarging their mind between Jesus and Moses, Jesus and Elisha, to recognize the identity of Jesus. He also, like Moses and Elisha, is God's prophet. He is God's messenger. He is the one sent from heaven. He wants their minds to expand. And then in verse uh, number 41, there are four verbs uh, that, that are used there. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He gave the bread. Four verbs which are repeated in chapter 14 at the first communion. Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He gave the bread. He broke the bread. And he's expanding the mind of his disciples. He's teaching them then, and he will teach them at the Last Supper. And as they look back on this, they will see the connection that here is Jesus. He's the provider for the hungry. He has come to satisfy the needs of those who require sustenance. Jesus is the bread of life. And by him breaking his body, he will provide salvation for us. He wants their minds to expand, their their understanding of his identity and of his saving work to grow. But he also wants their hearts to expand. And isn't this a brilliant conversation? And Mark, in in his account of the the feeding of the 5,000, gives the the most amount of space to the discussion between Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus has this this wonderful principle that he wants the new elders of the church to adopt, and, and all of us to adopt, to treat people not merely... With logic. But with love. The disciples have the logic. It is getting dark now Jesus. The people have been with you all day. You've taught them. You've given of yourself to them. You've instructed them in the ways of the kingdom of God. It's time for them to go to the towns and the villages. That was logic. That was good logic. That was accurate logic. Jesus says to them, no, you feed them. That's the way of the disciple. To treat people not just with logic, but with love. To go the extra mile. To hold not only the code and its rules in our hand. And the Bible and its principles in its hand. But to ask the individual before us. The people we're responsible for. How can I deal with you in love? He wants these disciples to learn about development. Development developing their minds and their understanding of who he is, but also developing their hearts and their treatment of the people whom he describes as sheep having no shepherd. Employers in the secular world are all about development, aren't they? Personal development of their employees to get the the best out of them, their their pound of flesh out of those they employ. And, And there's Masses of ways in which personal development is suggested. Improve your time management, develop emotional intelligence, listen actively, cultivate resilience in your life, develop a resilient mindset, learn new competencies, network other professionals, improve your public speaking abilities, complete an independent project in your workplace. Adjust your work-life balance. Attend a professional development challenge. Motivate others to succeed. Wake up early or, or, or set up a, a routine at night. Read books and articles regularly. Many ways to develop as an employee. And Jesus wants us to develop as his disciples. To develop In our minds. Maybe when you hear those announcements about the reading group uh, 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 and the doctrine class uh, uh, and the midweek study, you'll go, that's not for me. But that is for you. Because as disciples of Jesus, we're to develop in our mind, to grow in our understanding of His truth. And of his person. By the way, Spurgeon read six books a week, anyway. We're to develop in our hearts. And perhaps this is the harder way for us to develop as disciples of Jesus. We're logical in our treatment of others, we think of the polite, we think of the acceptable. We think of the mannerly, traditional way to treat one another. We're not rude, we're not dismissive, we're not condescending in our attitude to one another. But Jesus wants us to break out of that rut. He wants us to smash through the glass ceiling and enter the sphere of logic, but of love. How can I love that fellow church member? How can I love... My neighbor, how can I deal with them in the Jesus Calvary way? Learning about downtime. Learning about development. And then lastly and and thirdly, learning about distractions. Now the feeding of the 5,000 is loved by us. Children's books have been written about this. Paintings in the church have been made about this over the centuries, and I'm just about to dispel that fantastical view you have about the feeding of the 5,000. It's not all about a wonderful picnic out in the desert on the grassy slopes, the springtime of Palestine. There's a sinister note in this miracle, isn't there? The top three, evangelical commentaries, R.T. France, William Lane, James Edwards, all make this point and, and I, if it means anything, I agree with their assessment. See how the miracle ends in its account in verse 44. 5,000 men. In the New Testament, there's two Greek words for men. One word for men, strangely enough, means men and women, people. But but the word used here in in, in verse 44 is males only. 5,000 males only in the desert. Doesn't that make us ask why? What's going on here? The the local town of Capernaum had a habitation of 2,000 people. Here are 5,000 men in the desert. What are they doing there? Galilee was a hotbed of insurrection. They wanted rid of Roman rule. They wanted the taxes, the domination, the stigma of being overrun by the Romans removed. And they've got this plan, these 5,000 men, I would argue that they are going to make Jesus, the miracle worker, the man of power, their leader, to lead them against the roman authorities as john confirms in his account in chapter 6 here's this ideology here's this view of national resurrection to power and fame once again and what does jesus do to his disciples in the presence of such enthusiasm which is at a fever pitch at the end of this miracle see in verse number 45 He made immediately made his disciples get into the boat. The word made it's powerful, it's aggressive. Perhaps he grabbed them by their tunics and got them away from this mad, crazy, fanatical crowd, and he put them into the boat because Jesus wants his disciples to learn about distractions. Here were a group who were wrong in their understanding of Jesus, in their aspirations. And and this would divert the emotions, the enthusiasm, the drive of the disciples. This is all wrong, Jesus says, and you men need to get away from this. As a teenager, I was enthused about the Bible. I wanted to know more about the Bible. I was hungry for God's word. And I went down with my pocket money to the local evangelical bookshop. And I bought a study Bible. I can remember its black leather cover. And taking it home excitedly to to show my parents. I remember my dad took it back to the shop. It it was a Schofield study Bible. and, And he didn't want me Going down the wrong route in my enthusiasm, and he was right in in what he did. And here is Jesus, and he wants you and I to learn about distractions those inner distractions that, that we can chase. And we've all been on wild goose chases, pursuing something, studying something, committed to something, and then we find out that it just flies away, and we never grasp it at all. They're just like wild geese disappearing from before us. A common distraction in my life has been people taking their foot off the pedal, people taking a back seat, and their example and their lessening enthusiasm impacts us and, and, and tempts us and distracts us. And Jesus takes his disciples away from, from all that wrong enthusiasm. And he saves them from going down that road. Today we studied a wonderful example of proper enthusiasm in Professor Dick Wilson who divided up the life that he anticipated God would give him into three blocks of 15 years and devoted his time and energies in each of those 15 years imagine the distractions that he was tempted with to rescind his course, to pursue something else but he evidenced commitment, dedication And discipline. A common and legitimate definition of a disciple of Jesus is that she follows to learn and she learns to follow. It's a good summary of a disciple of Jesus. And at the very core of that summary is this aspect of discipleship. That we are learners in Christ's school. That we are growing, that we are advancing, that we are people who are progressing. Learning about downtime, that it's not wasted time to sharpen the scythe, is it? Learning about development in our mind and in our love. Learning about distractions, and they're all over the place. Some inside of ourselves, some outside of ourselves. We can easily be blown off track. But Jesus wants us to learn about these things. When Jesus addresses non Christians, he doesn't say to them, to you perhaps, You need to have read the whole Bible before you follow me. You need to get an A star in your RE. You need to get a first and a degree in theology. Jesus says to non-Christians, you must become like a little child. Just trust me. Just believe my promise. Just humble yourself before Almighty God and receive My free grace.